Good evening, everybody. It's a real appropriate time, you know, even though we're in, going through the, the book, um, you know, talking about must I empty-handed go kind of goes along with what I'd like to share with you tonight. Uh, <clears throat> just a quick note of last week, um, I spoke in Luke chapter 16, but I don't think anybody here was realizing what I was going through at the time, because uh, my pacemaker was flying. I mean, I was, I was so concerned that you would see my pocket doing this. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it worked out. Um, later on this week when I was reading through the scriptures, I found out how scriptural that, that really is. Because in Matthew 6, it says, blessed are the pacemakers. So um, anyway, that's just a little side there. I'd like to look at Luke chapter 17. If we can look at Luke chapter 17, and we're going to talk tonight about servants. And there's several different servants that the, the scriptures uh, reveal to us. Uh, four of them I'd like to go over. And so this is one of them. Luke chapter 17, starting at verse 7. <clears throat> and again, this is, to give you the background, this is the a Sabbath day which the Lord is uh, teaching, uh, teaching not only his disciples, but also all that were gathered around, which of course included the Pharisees. And like I mentioned last week in the morning, how that uh, the Pharisees were known for their love for money. And the Lord gave the parable of the two rich men and was basically showing how God looks at money as opposed to how man looks at money or mammon. And uh, so he continues on here in verse, in verse 7. It says, And which of you, having a servant plowing or attending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourselves and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commended him or commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done, and this is the key verse here, so likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. This really struck me as I was studying it this, this past uh, two, two weeks. After we have done everything that has been asked of us, we're to say, we're unprofitable servants. The word servants, of course, is the word bond slave. We could say slave. And so after we've obeyed everything that we've, we've been uh, asked to do, now we've had a lot of ministry in the last couple of months and maybe even years about how they were to obey, obey God's word and, and uh, you know, do this and do that. And yet when we have done all those things, we're to say of ourselves, we're unprofitable servants. So I had an idea, and I, I'm going to run this by you and see uh, what you think about it. 
if we were to go on the back, the foyer here, and we were to clear a wall, and uh, they do this at businesses, you know, they have employee of the month, you know, and then they have a picture of the, the employee. If we were to put a title, uh, unprofitable servant of the month, and then you would have your picture there, okay? Does that, and, then, and then maybe over here you would have runner-up, unprofitable servant of the month, and then it would be someone else's picture. It doesn't really have a, a ring to that, does it? But that's exactly what the Lord was saying. He says, I'm not going to call you that. God doesn't call you that. You call, that, you call yourself that. And so we're going to get into this just a little bit more. <clears throat> if we could turn to 2 Samuel 23. This is one of my favorite uh, stories in the Old Testament. And of course, this is at the, at the end of King David's life. And he is um, going over or listing his uh, mighty men, his, uh, his men of valor. And if we look at 2 Samuel 23, and starting at verse 11. And it says here, and after... And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herorite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines. Now, you've heard this story, I'm sure. Lentils is another name for what? Beans, right. So here's a hill of beans or, or, or a plot of beans, Okay. And he was asked by King David to guard it. And notice what happened. There was a piece of ground full of lentils, so the people fled from the Philistines. All those that were supposed to guard, they were commanded. That was, their, that was the request of the king. You're to guard this piece of ground. But he, that is Shammah, stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines, so the Lord brought about a great victory. The Lord brought about a great victory. That's the key that we're going to look at. He did what he was asked to do, but it was the Lord that brought about the victory. When we're asked to do something and, and it's successful, it's God that gets the credit, not us. You know... If you just simply do what you've been asked to do, you simply obey God's word, you haven't risen, or you've just barely risen to the level of unprofitable servants. So how do you get beyond that? How do you get up to the next level? And what is the next level above unprofitable servant? Well, we're going to get into that. Um, Matthew 25, 14. And so the Lord's gonna is giving another parable here. Starting at verse 14 of Matthew 25, he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. 
And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. <clears throat> then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made other another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two, talent, uh, two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug into the ground and hid his Lord's money. Notice it was his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. This is the next level. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said unto him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. And I believe that actually the idea here is, is if that's the way you thought about me, not that I really was that, but if that's how you viewed me, this is what you should have done. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take that talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents, for to everyone who has, um, who has, more will be given. And he who has, uh, have abundance from him who, who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness where there be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We must not misinterpret this parable. Some people say, well, that means that you can possibly lose your salvation and end up in hell. That's not what this is talking about. Because the Bible, in, in many, many other places, talks about when a person has accepted Christ as their Savior, they have received eternal life. And the Bible, and, he, and just define, what is the de definition of eternal life? If eternal life can stop somewhere down the road somewhere, it's not eternal. It's temporary life. And God doesn't give us temporary life. He gives us eternal life. And the eternal life is not based on our behavior, how good we, you know, we are through our life. It's based on the faithfulness of God. And so this is not referring to that because this servant was, ended up in everlasting judgment. Well, who is this person? Well, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans 
that, uh, let's take a look at it, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, and we'll begin at verse 18. Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, now here's the key, suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifested in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that, what does it say here? They are without excuse. Every person that comes into this world is given a measure of light. It's what they do with that light. What did this servant do with that light? He buried it. He, he, out, of, out of sight, out of mind. And so he should have taken that light that he had and, and uh, worked on it and put it to use and it would have eventually ended up in him reproducing himself. Because you have the one person that got five talents, he got five more. And when I was reading this and studying this, I was thinking, and maybe you can... Maybe this has crossed your mind too. Have you reproduced yourself in this world? Have you talked to people about the Lord and have led anybody to the Lord? I'm sure just about everybody here has. What a joy that is to reproduce yourself. So that when I get to heaven... I, there's one person I'm looking forward to, and I've said this many, many times. I'm looking forward to Randy Hartman. Okay? He was my buddy. I mean, I was with him in kindergarten all the way up through high school. And uh, I had the privilege at a brigade outing to lead him to the Lord. And uh, he was killed in a uh, construction accident, and he's in heaven now. And he's waiting. You know, but the question is, how much are we reproducing ourselves? And this is a real challenge to each one of us that we need to do this. And so, let's take a look at a, going back to Second Samuel. There's a just a couple of verses after that. There's another really uh, interesting thing. And again, I know you're familiar with this. Second Samuel chapter 23. And verse 17, now here's some other, here's another level of a servant. Okay, now Shammah was told, guard this field of beans. And that's exactly what he did. Even if everybody else left, he stayed there. And it was against a whole garrison of Philistine soldiers. But the Lord gave him the victory. The Lord gave him the ability and the Lord gave him the victory. But if you look here in uh, uh, 2 Samuel 23, and let's start um, verse 14. And David, uh, David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David was in a cave. He was hiding. And notice what he says here. And again, you, you know this story. And verse 15 
And David said with longing, he just said it under his breath, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. He was just talking to himself, probably. I'm sure he wasn't talking to someone else. He was just, oh, man, I, I just, as a little boy growing up in Bethlehem, that well, the water was so cool and sweet. It kind of reminds me of the water on, on my, uh, my aunt and uncle's farm in Iowa. They have a well there, and it's kind of, a, you lift it up, and then the water just comes pouring out, and it was so cold, and it was so tasty. I, I, you know, I just remember that water. And, and here's David, and he's saying, oh, I'm stuck in this cave. I got these, all these guys, and uh, I just wish that I would have a drink of that well. So, verse 16, so the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink of it, but poured it out to the Lord as a drink offering. These men were so close to the Lord, they overheard, or to, the, to King David, that they overheard what his, his desires were. And again, this is a points to us. Are we that close to the Lord that we, we hear that voice, we, we hear what he wants? You know, it's not, we can't look in here and, and see the, the uh, commandment, but we just know that that's what the Lord wants us to do. Maybe we're walking down the street and he says, you know what, I want you to talk to that person. Okay? He gives you permission to do it. And if he gives you permission, he's going to give you the ability and the right words. Now, you're probably not like me, because I just, oh, man, I said, what do I say? How do I do it, you know? But if the Lord's tugging on your heart, saying, I want you to talk to that person about the Lord. I want, they, you know, they're, they're thinking about it. And you talk to them, and sure enough, they are ready. You know, Russ, I'm sure Russ can vouch for this uh, in his ministry down there at the beach and that sort of thing. It, it happens all the time. But are we that close to the Lord that we just, no matter what he wants, we're just, we're going to do it. We're ready to do it. And so we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And in Hebrews 3, let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 2. Let's get some more, we'll get some more examples going here. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse, well, we'll start at verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him. And here's the, what I wanted to look at. As Moses also was faithful in all his house. I looked it up and there's, there are dozens and dozens of references or titles of Moses being the servant of God, the servant of Jehovah in the Old Testament and then some in the New Testament. So let's look, just real briefly, let's look at the life of Moses, just a small part. I mean, we would be here for a couple days to, to go over all of it, but just a couple of things that I wanted to point out 
as to what kind of a servant he really was. What kind of a servant should we be? Look at these characteristics. First of all, he was selfless. He was selfless. Let's take a look at uh, Exodus 32. Exodus 32. And starting at verse 7. And of course we know that, just to give you a background of this, this is when Moses was up in the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain and he was there for a long, long time. And the people of Israel said, he died, you know, what, you know, what happened? You know, he's not coming back. And so they made that golden calf. And so it says here, And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molten calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now, he was ready to completely wipe out the children of Israel. And he made an offer to Moses, a very, very uh, nice offer, a very attractive offer. He says, Moses, I want to make out of you a nation. And Moses probably thought, hmm, the nation of Moses that sounded, that's got a ring to it, you know, the nation of, like, the nation of David. No, you don't want that, but, you know, I mean, you know, Mo, he says, Moses, that's what I want to do. I want to make a nation out of you. Get rid of uh, Israel. It's going to be a new nation, nation of Moses. And to be head of this nation, all he had to do was what? Anybody know? What did he have to do to become the head of this nation? Absolutely nothing. That's all he had to do. He just simply had to stand back and let God do uh, his, um, exercise his wrath upon the children of Israel. He said, I don't want you to get involved in this. I don't want you to intercede for these people. So all you have to do to be your, the head of your own nation is just simply do nothing. I'll take care of everything. What happened? Well, take a look as we continue to read. And um, verse, verse 11. Or it'll we'll start at verse 10. Now, therefore, let me alone. In other words, don't do anything, Moses. Just stand off to the side. And my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. And I will make of you a great nation. What an offer. But then what, what did Moses do to show how selfless he really was? Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why do you, your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with, this great, with great power and with a mighty hand? 
Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them uh, to harm them and to kill them in the mountain and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn your face, your fierce wrath, and relent from this harm of, to your people. And notice what he says in verse 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and all of this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he did. So Moses' prayer was, Lord, you made this promise and I want you to keep this promise. And he, he, like I said, he could have just said, you know what, Lord, do what, you, do what you want to do, and I'll just, you know. He didn't do that because he was a selfless person, okay? Now, the next thing. He was willing, and this is important, he was willing to accept other people's advice. Let's turn to Exodus 18. Exodus 18. And we'll begin reading in verse 13. And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you, uh, why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from the morning until the evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me. And I judge between one another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you do is not good. Wow. You know, here's Moses, and he's pouring his heart out. He's trying to help the people, you know. He's trying to show them God's word and that, you know this sort of thing. And, Mo, and the father-in-law, who's you know, removed from the situation, sees Moses from the morning to the evening, and you've got thousands of people lined up to come and see him, you know, like Judge Judy, and, you know, what, and he's getting worn out. And so he says in verse 19, um, Verse 18, both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourself out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God, and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them uh, the way in which they must walk and the work that they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they shall themselves then they themselves shall judge so it will be easier for you for they will bear the burdens with you and if you do this thing and God commands you then you will be able to endure and all the people will also go to their place in peace 
And it says, so Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. So he appointed these people. He listened to other people's uh, ideas, and he accepted it. You know, and sometimes, when I, I was thinking about this, I said, how many times in the past, when I'm involved in a ministry, you know, and kind of leading it or being one of the leaders, and someone comes up, you know, hey, Dave, you know, why, why don't you do it like this? What's your reaction? Well, you know, I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this forever. You know, I mean, you don't know what you're doing. Is that our attitude? Or is that, you know what? That sounds pretty good. I'm going to really think about that. And then put it before the Lord and then do it. But if you're a type of person that says, you know, it's either my way or the highway, you're in the wrong position. And if godly people come to you and suggest things that would lighten your load, and that sort of thing. We all, and we all need to do this. We all need to be listeners. And it's hard. You know, especially if you've been doing it forever and ever and ever. Uh, and then for someone to come along and say, oh, by the way, why don't you try this? You know, so we have to be open to be listeners and to take on um, the thing, especially if it makes a lot of sense. So, anyways, then we, we come to the third point, and that Moses was free from envy. Let's take a look at Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. Uh, we'll start at... Uh, 24. Numbers eleven twenty four. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them round the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him and placed that same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did it so again. Now here's the key, verse 26. But two men had remained in the camp, and one of them was Eldad, and the name of the other was Medad. So you got Eldad, Medad, okay? And the Spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those listed, but who, but who had not uh, gone out to the tabernacle yet, they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his uh, choice men, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. In other words, let's get these guys out of here. I mean, they're competition. Let's, let's get them out of the camp. You know, they're not with us. But Moses was free from envy. And notice what he says here. Then Moses, verse 29, said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses returned to the camp, he and the elders of Israel. Moses was excited that there were two other men 
that had the Spirit of God and that were ready to prophesy. There was no envy on Moses' part, no competition, no jealousy, saying, hey, I'm the one, I'm, I'm the only one that should be behind this mic. Everybody else, you know, you're, you know, you can have your own little things, but I'm the one. There was none of that. There was absolutely no envy in his heart. And so, number four, we really see his meekness. That he was, Moses was free from envy, but that didn't stop others from envying him. Let's take a look at Numbers chapter 12. Starting at verse 1. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman who he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. The one thing that really struck me when I was reading it and studying it, The Lord has very good hearing. I'll say that again. The Lord has very good hearing. When we start talking about other saints behind their backs, the Lord has very good hearing. We need to be very careful. Because what happened? We all know what happened. Miriam was struck with advanced Leprosy, not beginning leprosy, advanced leprosy. And Aaron and uh, Moses could have said, you know what? It was his older sister. You know, you've been a real pain in my side for all these years. You know what? I'm just going to step aside and do nothing. If he did nothing, that would have been it. She would have been in trouble. But Moses was not... Jealous or envying at all. He was the meekest man. And so what he did was that he stood, he graciously interceded for Miriam uh, that day. And so as we, we might end a little bit early tonight, but... The, ba- the greatest example that we have, of course, well, let me, let me go back real quickly. And just as we saw these different things in Moses as, as a servant of God, there was, there was a commentator, his name is Roy Hessian, and he gives five marks of a true slave, a true bondservant of Christ. Listen to this. This is pretty interesting. Number one, he or she must be willing to have one thing on top of another put upon them without any consideration be given to them. Number one. Number two. In doing this, the servant must be willing not uh, to be thanked. Number three. After he's done everything, he must not charge the master with uh, selfishness. Number four, 
he must confess that he or she is an unprofitable servant. Number five, he must admit that he has not done one stitch more than it was his duty to do. Uh, two years ago at Yosemite, Rex Trogdon mentioned the fact that when in his earlier days as he was preaching, he would say, you know that you're a servant when you're treated like one. And Boyd Nicholson very graciously and lovingly took him aside and said, that's not quite right. He said, you should say, you know that you're a servant by the way that you react when you're treated like one. Do you see the difference? You know that you're a servant by the way that you react when you're treated like one. And that really kind of rings true, doesn't it? You know, I mean, some people just, they bristle. Oh, man, man, they're making me do everything here. Well, then you're not a real servant. But if, if you're willing to do anything that's, that's available and, anything, uh, you know, and then even looking out for things to do, then you can rise above that unprofitable servant status. Well, as we end, we talk about the greatest servant, the perfect servant, that is Jehovah's servant, which is Christ. And uh, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, he says, I didn't come to be ministered unto, but I came to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. And he says also, and for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, we read in Hebrews. What was the joy that he was looking forward to? It was the joy of lifting other people and blessing them, being a ble uh, having them with him in glory. And of course, and we don't have time, but uh, well, maybe we do. Let's take a look at John chapter 13. Again, uh, a familiar passage. And just to see, and we know that this is the upper room ministry of Christ. John 13, verse 2, and the supper being ended, the devil having already been put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he, was, he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments and took the towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he had girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I'm doing now, or what, I'm, what I am doing, you do not understand right now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only but also my hands and my head. Jesus said, He who is bathed need, not, need only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken the garment, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. And you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, and he puts it in the correct order, your Lord and teacher, 
have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You know, <clears throat> in Galatians, let's take a look real quickly at Galatians chapter 6 and verse... In verse 2. As servants, what are we supposed to do for each other? And in Galatians 6, 2, it says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. We're to bear one another's burdens. You see someone that's burdened with a care or a sin, or whatever, you're to come alongside and encourage them. The Bible says that we're to encourage one another daily. We're not to whip the sheep. We're not to constantly berate them and saying, you know what, if you don't come out to family Bible hour, something wrong with you. That's not how you encourage people. You come alongside them, find out you know, find out a little bit about them. Maybe they're, they're having, going through some problems or something. Maybe that's the reason why they're not coming out to Wednesday night meeting. We don't know. But to just simply stand back and start jumping down people's throats, that's not what the Lord wants us to do. We're to come alongside to encourage them daily. And when the Lord washed their feet, I'm sure the water wasn't too cold. And I'm sure the water wasn't too hot. So when we're trying to minister to other people, make sure you're not too cold and make sure you're not too hot. <laughs> you want to be just right. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we've looked at the different types of servants in your word, we think of Moses and how he's faithful in his whole house. But Father, the greatest example of a servant was your dear son the perfect servant who did everything that you asked him. And Father, he eventually came and gave his life to save those that were on their way to a lost eternity. Father, if there's anyone here tonight who has not come to that point in their life where they have repented or they have admitted that they're a sinner and have repented, and put their faith and trust in you, we ask, Father, that they will do so, realizing that when Christ died on the cross and shed his precious blood, that that and that alone paid for the penalty for all of their sins, past, present, and future. Father, we're so thankful for eternal life. We're so thankful that our salvation is not dependent on how much or how well we behave. It's completely and totally in your hands. It's a gift that you gave us at the point that we became born again. And so, Father, we ask that you would bless your word tonight, the things that were said out of the energy of the flesh that you would have all of those that heard forget. But, Father, those things that your spirit has spoken to each and every one of our hearts that you would allow them to change our lives, that we will be serving one another, that we'll bear one another's burdens, that we'll be encouraging to one another, and that, Father, most importantly, that we will do your will 
that we will rise above the status of unprofitable servant, that we'll, be, we'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. We ask this, that this be so according to your will and for your honor and glory. In your son's name, amen.